back, everyone. I appreciate you tuning in for another edition of the Camera Rooks Podcast. On this episode, I interview Greg Payne. Greg is a former Army officer who transitioned uh, around this time last year. He came to the April 2019 conference and launched his business career in a medical sales role with Abbott Point of Care. And Abbott is a, is a very large Fortune 500 company in our nation. And... Um, and Greg and I connected, and we thought it would be a good idea to do a podcast on COVID because the work that he's doing and the devices that he sells has a particular, um, um, the devices that he sells has a lot to do in the medical industry across a lot of different um, uh, areas that patients are treated. And so um, his business is particularly affected by what's going on with the coronavirus and he happens to be located in Boston, which uh, adds more complexity because that's one of the hardest hit cities in our nation. So it's just really good to hear what he's up to. We, we, we talk a little bit about his transition. We definitely talk about sales in general because I think that's an important point for to hear someone who's actually doing it kind of over the learning curve, been in this territory for about a year now, maybe a little bit over that. But then we, uh, then we flex and pivot over to talking about COVID-19, what's going on in the, in the market, how he's been affected personally, how his organization has been affected. And so I think this message is very timely for people who are considering options, wondering what's going on with the economy and COVID-19 and all of those things. And so it's been great to catch up with Greg. I think you'll get a lot out of this podcast. Um, he agreed that if you want to reach out to him directly, um, you can you can find him on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to know more about Cameron Brooks in general, if you don't know about Cameron Brooks and just stumbled on this podcast, you can find a lot more about who we are and what we do in helping military officers transition at our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. I'm excited to you, for you to hear the episode. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Greg. Okay, Greg, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to visit with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, good deal. So let's let's start with uh let's start by introducing yourself. Just how about a little bit about your military background and uh when you got out of the military and kind of what you're up to now. Yeah, so I graduated from Norwich University up in Vermont in 2015. Uh commissioned as an infantry officer then. Uh, went down to Fort Benning, you know, executed all eyeballing and training down there before PCSing to Fort Campbell. Uh, so I spent the entire time of my military career uh, in 2nd Brigade, 101st Airborne, uh, as an infantry officer, you know, moving between all the, the standard jobs as a platoon leader, executive officer, um, and then ultimately transi transitioning into staff. Um, so I was with the 101st from 2016 until the spring of 2019. And in the spring of 19 is when I actually connected with Cameron Brooks for the first time. Uh, I was a little, you know, late to make that, that introduction to you, um, but actually met with you, Pete, in January remember, of 2019. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> we put together kind of an expedited plan to get me ready right. to, to go to the career conference in 2019 in April That's of right. that year. That's right. You came to the April conference. Uh, talk a little bit, and let's just kind of keep keep rolling down this road here. So short 
you know, um, streamlined preparation program. And, you know, the average amount of time that someone spends in, a, in our program is 10 months. So some people spend a lot more than 10 months. I was talking to a lady today who's not getting out of the military for two and a half or wouldn't come to a conference for two and a half years. And some people spend less, you know, as you said, you know, I think you're in this program for a good solid three months. And so tell me, do you remember much about that streamlined program and, and what, what was the most helpful perhaps? So I think there's a lot of benefit in being methodical. And like you said, there are some people that take that two-year approach. Um, but I think the one big advantage I had in getting introduced to the, you know, the program later was I was fully bought in and committed to my transition. You know, like at this point in my military career, I had already, you know, announced my, you know, intention to leave the Army. Uh, and so Cameron Brooks' career conference prep was number one on my to-do list. Uh, and so I really poured everything into it uh, and, you know, approached it with intention, which I think was really helpful um, because there is a time, you know, as you approach the end of your, your military career, once you let everyone know um, where finding that next job really does kind of become a full-time job. Uh, and so, you know, did all the reading material that was sent out as part of the development program and, and really kind of delved into what value does the JMO bring to the corporate world. So you came to the conference, you had 12 interviews. You got almost every company to say yes to you. There's only two that said no. So 10 of 12 interviews were interested in pursuing you. Tell me a little bit about some of the companies that, after interviewing with all those companies, tell me about the types of companies that bubbled to the top for you. Which were you interested in more? Yeah, so my companies, as you said there, I interviewed with 12. It was split, if I remember right, about 70-30 in terms of sales positions uh, being about 70% and operations being 30. Um, you know, the operations roles are great. Uh, there, there were some really interesting high-tech uh, manufacturing positions that I spoke with, um, but those were you know, where my no's were as well. Um, and I think it's because I'm I'm just better suited to those sales positions. And so I had made that decision kind of going into it that that's sales was what I was prioritizing because I thought that's where my my strengths lied. Um, mm -hmm. As a military officer, I I believe that we're kind of uniquely qualified, um, and it's a very easy transition for us to move from our roles, especially on staff, um, into sales. It's essentially the same job. Um, you know, when you look at the military decision making model you follow that step, you know, step-by-step -step process is almost exactly um, how you develop course of action for a competitor. You play your product strengths um, against your competitive products. You war game them to come up with the best strategy and then you pitch it to buy, you know, to get that buy-in from, from your customer. And so it really follows that same strategy. Um, and I just think it's a, sales is a great, path for people to follow coming out of the coming out of the military i think a lot of people and I, I know you and i actually had this conversation i think a lot of people have a misconception about what sales or, or the types of sales that we're talking about this business the business sales a lot of people especially you know when they first when i say to them hey i think you might be marketable for sales they say well I'm not interested in selling cars or vacuums or door-to-door -door knives or whatever it might be and so what else can you tell us? What are, maybe 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 I'll pitch the question this way. What else can you tell a military officer 
that who may not be all that familiar with what business to business professional sales actually is, what else can you say to them? And I like what you've said thus far, because I've never really thought about the MDMP being connected to sales, but I uh, will start thinking about it and I'll probably start using that because I really like it. What else can you say to JMOs that are, that are maybe unsure about what that career field might look like? Yeah, I think what might be helpful for people who have never, who aren't as familiar as what a professional sales rep does, uh, is maybe to think about it through the lens of a consultant. I think that's a term that's probably more accepted. Um, and realistically, it's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, like when you talk about the actual act of selling, cold calling, finding new targets, that's such a small percentage of the job. It's a very important part and it's arguably the hardest part. But once you find that customer that's interested in your product and you qualify that opportunity, everything you do from that step until they are a existing customer with a standing order from your organization is, is consulting with that organization to make sure that you can pivot your product, introduce them to the different capabilities that your products have to offer to address their problems. And so it's really important to maintain that close relationship with your customer where they feel comfortable bringing problems to you and you as a subject matter expert in this very sophisticated technology can you know, provide the solutions and steer them different ways and introduce creative problem solving. And so it's much more consulting. I mean, there is a sales aspect. You are held to a quota. Um, mm -hmm. And that's important, but I, I think the second half of that, at least in my role in medical sales, I spend a lot more time consulting with my customers um, and helping them introduce lab testing than I do cold calling and digging up new leads. I think a lot of people are so good. There's a lot of there's a lot of threads to pull on there. The first one that I want to ask though is, I think a lot of people are afraid of that word or that idea that you talked about regarding, you know, there's still a quota. Hey, this is still sales. There's still a quota to hit. Uh, tell me about that. Do you feel an immense amount of pressure? Um, I think that's a lot of what people think like, oh gosh, I don't, I'm not going to hit my quota. I'm going to get fired. Like it's just a completely cutthroat thing. But tell me how you cope with that. How do you deal with that? How do you ensure that you hit your quota? Like go into detail there. Yeah, I mean, at risk of just stating the obvious, sales obviously has a quota because business has, has a quota. I mean, any publicly traded yeah. company has an obligation to its shareholders to return value. And so if your company is not making money, if you're not achieving growth, then you're not going to have a company to work for anymore, right? And so the quota, it's, I mean, while it's there and it, it's, there is pressure to attain and to, and to succeed, it's coming from a position of, moving the company in the right direction so you can continue to develop, to, to research and develop new products that are going to continue to play an active role in the marketplace, in my case, healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of pressure, to give a little more background, I mean, I chose, I obviously, I'm, I don't know if we said this yet, I chose Abbott, um, point of care division, coming out of the career conference. Um, and I bring that up because coming out of that career conference, it was actually a unique position because there was no formal, no formal sales training. Um, I went straight into a territory. And so when I came out of that career conference, I accepted the offer with Abbott. A month later, I was in Boston. I got my car. I got my credit card. I got my two lab pieces of laboratory equipment. And from there, I was basically told to go out and sell. Uh, and so while it is intimidating, 
you know, you do have the tools to do it. And it's, it's a learning process. It's something you kind of grind through and you develop your own mechanisms for coping and building value and demoing your products and getting new leads. Um, but it's, it's not something that you wake up every day and you think about, you know, if I don't close this opportunity, I'm, I'm not going to work for Abbott anymore. Right. It's funny. I, and, and, and of course, you know, I have a similar background to yours. I started my career in medical sales as well. And I always make the argument like, like, I know as having a quota means I, I, I'm always, sorry, I'm not always, I was about to say I'm always thinking about it, but that's not accurate. I always know that I have a quota, right? It's, it's this simmering pressure. It's not this overwhelming pressure. I just always know that I'm, there's a number that I'm, it's my goal. It's a number that I'm trying to strive to. But what I found personally helpful, and, and it's certainly the way that I think, but I bet this is what you're doing as well is, you know, if you build, or when I built a plan, I had targets who I qualified, you know, I wasn't trying to like boil the ocean. I wasn't trying to convert everyone on the same day. I was methodical in the way that I managed my territory, basically managed my business. And I knew that if I, if I worked hard, if I woke up every day, if I got out there and met with customers and solved problems and consulted with customers, as you said, then as Ron Willingham says in his book, Integrity Selling for the 21st Century, the law of reciprocity kicks in. And if you handle your customers' needs and objections in order to show them the value of your product, you're just naturally going to be successful. Comment on that for me, though. Tell me your experience in some of that. No, I mean, I can absolutely confirm that. You know, just to, to talk about success, I mean, coming straight into the sales position, you know, being liable for or responsible for selling equipment. I had just found out what it was a month before across six different states with six different, you know, healthcare regulations, different laboratory guidelines. It's daunting. Um, but like you said, if you put in the time, I think this is probably the most critical thing is to put in the time to become the subject matter expert on in your field. So specifically for me, it's, it's learning about chemistry testing in the laboratory. It's not learning all laboratory testing, um, but it's right. becoming competent on that equipment and then spending the time with the customers to learn how they're actually using your equipment in the field. Because everyone knows there's a difference between, you know, kind of the ideal way that you do something and then how it's actually put to use. And that's when you really learn, hey, what, are the, what does the customer love about this product? Where are their pain points? How can I address those pain points? Maybe you can't. It's just something you have to be aware of. It's like a shortcoming in your product. but by learning all of those things, it allows you to consult with your customer. And I think that's the key is just building and developing those relationships. Um, because when you do that and you grow that customer base, and then you get all these references and people you can lean on and you know introduce right. a new customer to an existing customer, right. then in reality, yes, your quota, it, it's a goal for you to hit. Um, but you're not thinking about it all the time because you have your business plan and you trust that if you continue to execute day after day, you will get there. If not, just blow past it. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's an important concept too. Like, you know, the, the we like to analogize around here, you know, on day one in your territory, it's like walking out to a ball field, an empty ball field with a, with a, with a bat and a bunch of balls. Like if you ever, if you never walk to the ball field, you're never going to get a hit walking out there and throwing up a ball and swinging at it. Maybe you hit it, maybe you don't. But the idea, at least initially is 
get out there, churn, generate activity. And just the simple being out there and talking to customers manifests itself into new opportunities. And before you know it, and I'm sure your flywheel at this point, Craig, using um, uh, Jim Collins reference from good to great, your flywheel is probably rolling right now. But on day one, you were exerting an immense amount of effort and probably not getting very far. But at this point in the game, you know, I'm sure you're exerting, sure, I know you're exerting effort, but you're not probably exerting near enough the uh, amount of effort you did when you first started, yet you've got things moving, right? You've got relationships, you've got people interested. It's, it's just getting out there and getting things done. I know that sounds innocuous, but that's exactly what it is, at least in my experience. Tell me more about your experience as it relates to that. No, that's a great point. I think that's a really important point for people you know, who maybe just came out of the career conference and they accepted a job and they're moving into sales is the beginning of a sales career. You feel like you're running in mud, you know, like you are, you're coming from the military where you're used to being able to just, you know, walk downstairs, however your battalion was set up, you had people all around you at all times where you could go and have a face-to-face interaction and get it done. And if you're working in a remote sales position, that's just not how it works. And so you do have all these resources that are available to you, but on day one, you feel like you're on an island and, you know, you're out there. And, you know, to be honest, for the first you know month or two, I mostly cold called um, with very, very limited success. Um, but little by little, you come up with a strategy where you can find out, mm-hmm. hey, I have other Abbott colleagues in the area that sell different products and you're pulling target lists mm-hmm. from them based on past customer interactions. You work with distribution groups like Medline, McKesson, Henry Schein to pull leads out of them. And then you work with your existing customers to build that relationship. And from them, you get leads. And so it's all about, like you said, getting out there, talking to people, shaking up the market, and mostly just handing out a lot of business cards. Because after you do that and people know your name, then you can sit in my position a year later and just whole in business from your work. Totally agree. It's so good. I, I think it's just good to hear. I mean, I think I say some of that to people. Sometimes I don't want to overstate because because it sounds like, oh man, that sounds too good to be true. Is this guy telling me the truth? But it is good to hear someone else who, you know, you're, you again, you are you you are well over the learning curve at this point in the game and you are just now you're executing on business and things that will continue to get better year two, year three, whatever it might be. But uh it is so good to hear someone, you know, out there making it happen. And that, that's just the way it happens. Now, I guess I, guess, um, I want to come back to something because I, I wonder if people were hearing what you were saying and wondering the same thing. It, this was not my experience. When I went to my company, medical company and medical sales like you, man, I spent three months in New Jersey, like in laboratories and in the classroom setting, so how is it that with your background, right, you, you were like, as you said, you were an infantry officer, um, secondary or a, a political, political science from Norwich, studied Spanish, infantry, like you're not a medical guy. You're not a chemist, blood chemistry test guy. How with no training can you get out there and get things done or what did you do to get things done? I mean, so it's an extremely steep learning curve. You know, I don't want to make people think it was easy um, to make the transition as a military officer into a completely new field where, you know, people talk about, 
you know, biochemistry on the regular and your customer that you're interacting with is, you know, an established physician of 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of that is done on your own outside of the business, but, you know, learning the market, reading the publications, you know, I'm on Becker's hospital review every single day, you know, reviewing the trends uh, and what's going on in the greater healthcare market. I mean, out of it, has trained me. I don't want it to sound like there wasn't training. We had training, you know, I, I've flown around the country. I've seen demonstrations on our equipment, new applications. There's yep. constantly new training with all of this equipment, but yep. it wasn't required to make a sale. It, it's not prohibitive. It was something that went on as I moved into my territory because I came into a vacant position. And so there was no one up here moving business. And so my manager made the decision, get him into the territory get him start mm -hmm. shaking it up like we were talking about. And I learned mm -hmm. a lot. I think I arguably learned more through that process than if I would have just gone to a company and got paid to study for a year. Because you don't really learn mm -hmm. until you see it in practice and you're forced to get out there and really have that hard conversation with the physician where you kind of exert yourself as a subject matter expert. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was my experience. Like I, I was in New Jersey for three months, but I too, actually I went into a territory in Dallas with a guy, taking over for a guy that, you know, you, I know you know the expression retired on active duty. Well, well, this guy was basically in that territory for three years, basically retired on active duty. And I know that may even sound unbelievable, but the company I was working for and as big as it was, it, it was happening. And so I remember showing up to my territory, walking to accounts and saying, hey, I'm Pete, your new Ethicon rep. And they're like, Ethicon, I haven't seen you guys in a couple of years. And, you know, so like you, handing out a bunch of business cards, getting a bunch of things churning. And and it sounds like our experiences have just been very, very similar. And it's exhilarating. It's so good to kind of hear your experience. It reminds me of my own experience, but it also gives me confidence that, uh, that you know, it's still similar. And JMOs with absolutely no experience and said market can come out there with the things that you do have, hard work, determination, um, strategic thinking, tactical thinking, get out there and, and get it done. Um, let, me, let me ask you one more sales question and then I want to we'll go on to another topic. Um, tell me about your best day as a sales professional at Abbott thus far. Give, give us an, an idea or a window into your best day. So maybe this will work as a, you know, kind of a segue to talk about, um, you know, what we want to talk about later in terms of how COVID, mm -hmm. you know, has really kind of changed the entire marketplace. But my best mm -hmm. day came very recently, recently, and it wasn't winning new business. Um, but it, it, this was a day where I demonstrated that I had really, I had a firm grasp on what our technology had to offer, its value propositions, um, and, you know, what it how a customer can benefit from, you know, employing Abbott point of care technology. And it's when um, earlier this year, we had a large healthcare chain up here in Boston that was looking to move to a competitive product. Uh, and it came out of nowhere. I wasn't even notified um, by the customer, which is probably normally the case. They're going to a different manufacturer. They're not just going to call you and give you a courtesy call. But this was where all those relationships I'd nurtured outside of that chain with my distribution partners um came and really helped me out because i got the tip from one of my distribution groups that said hey they're looking to shift to a different piece or a different piece of laboratory equipment they're going to standardize it across all facilities 
and it was going to have a near catastrophic, you know, kind of effect on my business in, in New England. It would take mm -hmm. a very long time to recover that market share. Um, mm -hmm. But by using that relationship with the distributor, I was able to get into that office, um, mm -hmm. you know, by him essentially calling in a favor. He's had a 20 year relationship that I was able to put my six month relationship you know, kind of entrust it to him. Uh, and he got us in that meeting and we found out that the problem, you know, was, it was really something quite simple, but it was due to a misunderstanding about our technology, how it can be employed and, you know, ultimately how they can save costs um, because they were following some steps they didn't have to per Massachusetts laboratory regulation. So they were incurring a large amount of additional costs they didn't have to. Um, and so ultimately, one back the business, they didn't switch um, different laboratory equipment, and our equipment is still standardized across all of their locations. But why I think it's a good example is you can see, you know, it's the relationships that you build with the customer. It's the relationships that you build with distributors that are, are critical, especially in healthcare work. They're the, they're the gatekeepers to a lot of customers. And then it's the knowledge of the customer, because ultimately, when you get that meeting, if, or the knowledge of the equipment, because when you get that meeting, if you don't know the ins and outs of your equipment and that lab director starts talking about really technical components and you get left behind, you're going to lose that sale. Um, and that's why it's just absolutely critical to really invest in, in learning your equipment and how it's used. So good, man. It's really great to hear. Again, it is, it is very exhilarating to hear your experience and kind of getting in. You can, I can just hear your enthusiasm and the enjoyment for the work. Let's talk, let me shift gears on you here. Let's talk a little bit about COVID. Obviously, that's on the tip of everyone's tongue right now as it relates to COVID-19, coronavirus, the effects on business, the effects on health, and, you know, death rates and infection rates and everything else. So I know that, that Boston in particular and New England in general has been hit a little bit harder than other parts of the country. So maybe can you give a, let's start broadly what's going on up there and, and how's it going here on May 28th. And we're going to, I'm going to try to publish this on Monday. So this will be real, real relevant when people, when this uh, goes live on our platform, but uh, yeah, what's going on up there right now? Yeah. I mean, COVID is, is obvious. It's the point of multiple meetings every week. Um, you know, how do we sell in this new world as we've been talking about, you know, one of the big keys to being a successful field sales rep is getting out into the market uh, and shaking it up and, and interacting with customers. Um, but we can't do that now. You know, so we're, we're working remote just like everyone else. And in Boston, we've been on lockdown now for 77 days. I have a counter I can see on my office, um, yes. you know, have to wear a mask every time we go outside. Uh, and specifically to my business, hospitals and outpatient healthcare facilities are no longer admitting um, sales people from different manufacturers. Uh, you're just not permitted to go in there because you're introducing another level of risk to their facility in doing right. so. And so it's really changed the way healthcare sales reps and manufacturers need to interact with their customers. And it's a learning process for all of us. How have you, okay, that's great. So how are you? I mean, I, I know, I'm sure it's not all figured out right now, but how are you? You said it's changed. How are you guys conducting some of your, some of your meetings, some of your business? Are you doing it outside the account? Are you meeting people? Like what's, how are you doing it? Right. So a lot of it's pivoted to developing new marketing materials and just ways to engage the customer. Um, you know, conducting demos that we once did in person, 
you know, figuring out how to set up webcams and show different angles, um, you know, to demonstrate the equipment and show ease of use. Um, but it's, it's still a work in progress. It's really kind of changed everything and every single manufacturer across the industry is competing to have those same exact, you know, WebEx call or, you know, Zoom with that customer. And so it, it's difficult um, because we're all, all healthcare as a whole right now is struggling with reduced patient volumes and not to get deep into how healthcare makes money, but patient volumes drive revenue for healthcare facilities. And so, you know, in Boston specifically, physician offices are down 90% and people walking through their doors. Uh, and some of that's gone to telemedicine, but that doesn't generate the same usage of my equipment or other medical equipment like tongue depressors, gloves, things you don't think about that are sold into doctor's offices regularly aren't being used in the same quantity. And so for us in healthcare, it's really been uh, kind of a shock to the system. And a lot of us are scrambling um, to really demonstrate, to listen to our customers, like we've been talking about, but then demonstrate value that our products have in a post-COVID world um, to really convince them it's worth continuing to invest resources in our products and other products, other, you know, laboratory testing equipment because it's you know everyone's dealing with such tight budgets right now that you're all competing yeah, yeah. for that same small pot so it's become quite difficult and i obviously don't have all the answers right now right i one of the things i i firmly believe i know that that coming out of you know i know that the, the quote new normal has been a, an idea that's been thrown around now for at least six or more weeks and that when we come out of this covid um, type environment, things will be different. And I, and I do believe that to be the case for, in some ways, I think, you know, you know, uh, I forget, um, necessity is the mother of invention. Is that what they say? And so we've been like you, like you've been having to be creative. I know that, that we did our first virtual conference a couple of months ago now. And so, you know, finding new ways to make things work, but, but I also truly believe that because of the nature in which this our economy is kind of ground to a halt it wasn't a financial issue whatsoever right it was a virus it wasn't like you know the economic crash right. of 2008 and 9 it wasn't the dot com bubble and things of this nature it was not financial at all and obviously it's having a major financial impact but based on the products that you sell do you see a path forward and back i i can only imagine you do only because of of you know people still need to go to the doctor people still need to go have surgery people still need tests done but what do you see as what what things could be moving forward no i, I think that's a great point and we are anticipating volumes patient testing volumes to to grow back to where they were pre-covid because as you said people are still getting sick people still need to go to the doctor kids are going to return to school and need physicals those labs will return the question is just when, uh, and I think it's really important. I know you know every company in the world is talking about this right now. Is you know when and where, and pivoting resources because Texas is going to come back before DC. That's going to come back before Boston. And so, how do you position yourself in each market at the proper time to rebuild and restructure that business and, and to get your customers back, running your equipment, comfortable with the equipment again? Um, because they've struggled too, especially in healthcare. They're coming out of a really hard time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of furloughs as well in non-critical care environments. 
Um, and mm -hmm. so it's, there's going to be a growing process, but yeah, we do anticipate everything to return to normal and it's not all negative too. There's been some really great changes in healthcare that are rapidly emerging in the market right now, um, kind of driven by COVID. We're seeing uh, mobile integrated health is, is one of those emerging segments that I'm keeping a very close eye on because it pertains to my business exactly. And what that means is instead of putting you know, your grandmother in a nursing home, you actually will send paramedics to her house. And so it'll be a paramedic, he'll have point of care laboratory testing and other diagnostic equipment where he can actually obtain results at the patient's bedside in their home and then communicate over telemedicine with a doctor um, remotely who can then, you know, they can collaborate to actually provide treatment and reduce strains on nursing homes. So that's something that's been rapid. It's been a trend that's been going, but it's rapidly accelerated by COVID. And so there are some really good things, new emerging markets, and, and there's going to be right. demand for medical services coming out of this. I, I wonder, I, I bet a lot of people are wondering, like, what's up with you specifically, Greg? I mean, you still have a job. I mean, are you, do you, did you ever feel at risk? Like, am I going to get furloughed? And I, what's going on in your situation? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. I'm not, it's, and it's definitely a big difference from the Army because I don't think ever, anyone in the military um, when COVID struck, woke up and worried, will they have a job? Um, right. I'd say it, it, there, in the beginning with the early projections, yeah, there, there's always fear in, in the corporate world. How far is this going to go? How long are we going to shut down? What's that shutdown going to entail? And what's the impact on my business? But I'd say, you know, for most people in the healthcare industries and, you know, these larger industries as a whole, um, it stabilized within a week or two. You know, there were assurances made by Abbott, and I heard it from, you know, the other groups that I work with, similar assurances being made, because it's always in these companies' best interest to retain the talent that they have, especially in a sales territory where relationships are so critical. You can't just go out and you can't just replace that person overnight. You have to train them, and then they have to build relationships. It would take a whole nother year to get to the point where I am. So, yes, there was some fear initially, but, um, you know, we're we're recovering now and kind of learning how to sell in this new normal. So, you know, I, um, I think a lot of people probably wonder, and maybe you could just speak to this, you know, I, and, and, and I, and I've been, obviously I've been talking to a lot of military officers who are trying to make some decisions about whether or not to get out of the military. There's a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. Tell me how you, how you've interacted with your boss. Like you mentioned before, before I hit the record button that, your business is way down and naturally it would be relative to everything you've described up to this point. What is your boss saying to you? Is he or she putting on a bunch of pressure? I assume not, but are they putting on about a bunch of pressure? How are they helping you to navigate and manage this, giving you assurance? You mentioned assurances, saying things to you, like what, what are they saying to you? Right. So, I mean, what I give my boss is full transparency into my business. You know, you don't hide anything. Yes. You, it, when bad news comes, you, it doesn't get better with time. Uh, and so sure. there's an open line of communication there. But every, I mean, COVID's quite unprecedented, uh, especially in its impact. And like you were saying, you know, there's probably going to be a rebound, a pretty quick, fast rebound back to normal. And so we're all trying to learn how it's impacting our business and how we can operate in this, minimize the negative effects and grow out of it. And so I would say just in interacting with my manager, it's, it's all about just maintaining that open line of communication. His quota, like we were talking about earlier, is nested in mine. 
And so it's right. in his best interest for us to just communicate effectively and just preserve the business we can and really set the framework for whenever we do start to lessen the stay at home order, we can get back out and, and just restore market share as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, this has been really helpful. I, I, it's been really great to hear you and just kind of catch up with you. I'm sure just the things that you're saying, you know, because a lot of what you've said, people ask me a lot, and I give them my perspective, obviously, but it's so good to hear your perspective, especially right now. I mean, you are literally in the fight. And I'm sure a year ago when you were coming at the at the April 2019 conference, you, you know, obviously COVID wasn't even fathomable at that point in life. And so to hear you fighting through it and, 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 and the positivity and the enthusiasm that you have for the work that you're doing, it's just, uh, it's just really great. Any, as we kind of land the plane here, any parting advice to military officers who are, who are trying to make decisions, who are evaluating options and opportunities, like what would you say to them? I mean, the biggest thing I would say is we still need you. In corporate America, there is still a absolute demand for highly qualified, talented employees who are especially capable of operating in a rapidly evolving environment with limited guidance. I mean, if that's not a military yeah. officer, I don't know what is, but that's what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. I can't call my manager and ask him for help on pivoting every single one of the opportunities that flares up um, because it's just happening too quickly. COVID's effects, you know, it's seeping into places that we didn't anticipate or see coming as regulations quickly change, businesses rebounding, and you have to be capable of, of engaging in that environment and, and building business and mm -hmm. succeeding on your own. And I really do think that because of that, like I was saying earlier, I think sales is such a good fit for, for JMOs because we have that ability. We're used to operating, mm -hmm. you know, with some autonomy uh, and it's, it's critical. And during COVID companies need it more than ever. And so you're highly yeah. marketable. I do want to say one thing before we go. I just need to say this. You know, I think, and it really accentuates what you just said. I think a lot of times in other types of roles, whether it's a team leadership role or a business analysis role, or maybe even an engineering management role, uh, officers express concerns to me, like, how am I going to learn to be a, let's say, a manufacturing team leader? I've never done that before. Or how am I going to learn to be an application engineer? I've never really done that before. But I think in every other career field that we represent, there's at least an experiential overlap to a degree. In sales, not as much. I mean, there are a couple of Army jobs, Army and Marine Corps um, a fire support officer that I think has massive overlap. But for the most part, you know, I look at a sales professional and your experience and think like, yeah, you know, you can connect in BMP and yeah, it's kind of the same thing, but, but experientially, I mean, what you're doing is not like anything you did in the army, not like anything I really did in the army. And so I love to talk to people in sales because it's the, in my mind, the easiest path to say business isn't looking for your business experience as a military officer. They're not looking for your sales experience. They're not looking for your manufacturing experience. They're looking for everything you've already said, Greg, which is, hard work, determination, ability to build relationships, ability to flex when uncertainty arises, all the things that you're talking about, all the things that have made you successful thus far in your career and will continue to make you successful, 
were all born in your experience in the Army. So it's just great to hear you. It's great to hear your experience. I really appreciate you taking some time to meet with us today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me and, you know, expressing confidence in me making this transition back in January of 2019. It's kind of crazy to see how, how much has changed since then. Yeah, indeed it has. Well, listen, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to link, would it be okay if I link your LinkedIn to the show notes? And if anyone has any direct questions, they can reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to connect with anyone about their transition, especially a transition into sales or the medical industry. I'm, I'm happy to talk. Sounds great. Greg, great to chat with you again. Give me a shout in a few months. Let me know how things are winding down or I should say winding up for you and, uh, and we'll pick it up then. All right. Sounds good, Pete. All right. Thanks.